Welcome to the Future of Internal Communication podcast series. This series is brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and is hosted by myself, Jennifer Sproul, Dominic Walters and Catherine Barnard. How we work is in the early stages of profound transformation. Over the next decade, the entire nature of how we work will change. Technology, evolving socio-cultural attitudes and behaviours, globalisation, climate change, and these are just some of the trends impacting the way we work in the 2020s. While many aspects of work will change in the coming years, some things remain constant. One of those is the role communication plays in our ability to create understanding, meaning, and enable people to perform at their best, both individually and collectively. How we communicate sits at the heart of organisational success. World-class communication transforms working lives by helping people feel informed, connected and purposeful. When we feel seen and heard, we feel our contribution matters. With change as the new normal, the work of the internal communication profession has never been more important. And in this podcast series, we explore the changing world of work to identify the opportunities for the internal communication profession. We believe that a better understanding of the future of work will help us deliver better communication strategies for our organisations. And when we better serve our organisations, by default, we future-proof our careers. We hope you find this podcast series thought-provoking and encourages you to really see the opportunities that lie ahead as the world of work continues to change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Future of Internal Communication podcast, where today we're going to be talking about the changing face of leadership and the critical role of leadership communication. As always, you're joined by your resident host, myself, Jen Sproul from the IOIC, Don Walters and Kat Barnard. And um, today we are thrilled to be joined by our guest, Damien Corbett, who is a social media strategist and writer with over 20 years experience in PR and communications, and has also recently authored the book, The Social CEO, where it really looks at how leaders can leverage social media to thrive and stand up and take the lead, which is what people want. So hopefully today, we're going to have a really interesting conversation about leadership communication. So, but Dom, as our resident host, who is in your day job, also a leadership communication uh, consultant and expert, I'm going to, we're going to come to you, Dom, actually today to kick things off around, from your point of view in your career, what are the patterns you have noticed um, with regards to leadership communication? Are there any real like common themes that you've seen that, that we need to contis- consistently help leaders with? Yeah, well, Jen, I think that's, uh, that's an interesting question to start with, because what we've seen over the last 18 months, uh, I think is, as in many aspects of life, an acceleration of many of the trends that we were seeing around leadership communication in the years before. And I think one of the things we've seen uh, since COVID and the response to it is the growing importance of the leader as the point of contact between an individual, an employee, and the organisation they work for. Because with an increasing number of people being away from an office environment, they don't get much contact. They don't get um, visuals on the walls. They don't get to meet people informally. They don't have contact with other, other managers. It's their leader that really is the voice of the organisation for them, by and large. And I think lots of organisations have realised that, and we've seen a lot more interest in how do we help leaders understand what their role is when it comes to communication, and how do we equip them to do it? And that equipment is not just around the skills, which, fun enough, many of them actually have. It's about understanding when to use the skills and having the confidence 
to do them. So I think there are probably three things that come out of that, which I've really seen. It'd be interesting to get Damon's take, obviously, on this as well. First of all is um, how do leaders create a parity of experience when they've got people in their team who are doing all sorts of different types of work? Again, this has been the case for years. It's been accelerated by COVID. <coughs> so you're going to have some, some t- people who are still on furlough until September at least. You're going to have people who are working from home and haven't done before. You've got people coming to an office. You've got people in the field who are doing work in the same way as they always have done. So how do leaders create a parity of experience and access to information across the piece? And I think that's one of the things we've been looking at. I guess allied to that, a big issue Again, it's always been the case, but it's become accelerated, is how do leaders create a sense of belonging uh, across the old people in their team? How do they get a common understanding of the purpose of the team and a feeling that they're part of it and they have a role to play? And again, that's become more difficult with diverse teams, and the onus is upon leaders to try and create that sense of community, and how can they do that? And I suppose the third point really underpins all of the other stuff, which is a growing awareness of the importance of leaders when it comes to connecting <clears throat> so believe it or not and i know people listening to this were probably surprised but there are still a body of leaders of the were who saw leadership communication as broadcasting effectively as being chichillian in their ability to put stuff across and making sure they, they broadcast and i think they realized when the option of doing that in team meetings was taken away from them that that wasn't what communication was about or at least not in its entirety and so there's been a shift to recognising that leadership communication is about having conversations. And that's a tough shift for a lot of leaders because they're used to telling people stuff, solving problems, moving on to the next one. And having good conversations requires them to sit back, not be in the spotlight, ask questions and listen to what people have to say <coughs> and respond to it. And I guess just to finish that off, and I, I'm picking up on something which I know Kat has mentioned in a, in a different episode, it's about this idea of how do we co-create what the future of the workplace is going to look like. And Kat knows much more about this than me, but how do we actually engage people and involve people in, in shaping the future? Um, and that means having a constructive conversation. Uh, I think one of the great things has been very few organisations we've spoken to the last few months have said we're going to impose the future on our, our workforce. A lot of them want to engage people in helping to shape it as well. But that means having constructive conversations. So those are the key things. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, the, this this need for openness and for inclusion now is absolutely paramount. And for me, um, I've been thinking for for a long time. You know, the complexity of modern land, landscapes is is such now that no small finite team can possibly know everything there is to know and problem solve in isolation and why would you do that when you have a community of eyes and ears that can help interpret current market circumstances with you Um, so for me this need for the creation and nurturing of community is paramount and I know Damien you and I have talked about social media previously I mean how how does or has uh, social media, in your view, changed the requirement of leadership communication? Yeah, that's a good question, Kat. I think um, 
social media has certainly accelerated the need for for leaders to think about communication and during the during the during the pandemic when a lot of people have been working from home and leaders have been having to lead remotely it's been a bit of a a wake up call and a bit of a shock to the system for some leaders of course we've been talking about you know internal comms and and all of these kind of things for a long time it's not it's nothing new but social media with the pandemic with the lockdowns with the remote working all of these things together has kind of accelerated it and forced a lot of leaders to rethink about to rethink how they approach this um and certainly social media is one of the tools that leaders can use and have been using is not the only medium because we shouldn't assume that all of our our employees are on social media but a lot of them will be on different channels so that's another ch- uh, challenge but it's certainly it's it's opened up the field a lot more and it's made leaders realize that being on social is 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 becoming less of a kind of uh, an option it's becoming more of a requirement i think more than anything else and that's not just to talk to employees it's because of the the expectations of society um there's that report that i know that you're 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 working on about the uh, the crucial role of leadership communication in the future of work and you talk about the edelman trust barometer where uh i think 33,000 people were interviewed and i think about 86% of those interviewed said they expected leaders to now speak out about societal issues and you know what better way to do that if you want to you know reach a wide audience than social media and it's big i think it's things like um when when george floyd was killed and the black lives matter movement kind of had a resurgence it was never gone but it had a resurgence that coupled to the fact that people were were on social media a lot kind of made leaders have to have to really think about you know what do we stand for and there was a lot of bandwagon jumping when it came to to you know to black lives matter but those leaders who had already been doing it and had been quite um vocal about issues uh they came came naturally to them so i'm i'm going off on, on a bit of a tangent here but but basically what i'm saying is they i mean the pandemic the the remote working and expectations of society mean that social you know leaders need to communicate more and social is is a, a great way to do that Mm. It's like a two-step as well for me because what something that you just said there really interested me um, and it reminded me of, of a thing that was a thing kind of, um, well, perhaps sort of eight years ago now. Um, it's step one is, is, is the requirement for leaders to kind of lean into social media as a, as a, as a really good tool of engagement not a broadcast tool but a means by which you can both say what you feel is important to be said but also listen to what is being said Absolutely. it's about listening channel. just as much yes but the other thing that i think you said there damian that really struck me was when you said whatever channel whatever social media channel is being used and it reminded me a little bit of back in the day when um IT departments had to acknowledge that increasingly uh, their users their employees were bringing their own devices BYOD bringing their own devices to work and insistent on well no I want a, I I want an Apple phone because I'm aware you know I'm familiar with its user interface and so on rather than being told you must use a Motorola or what have you so for me step 2 of the challenge is and know which social channels your staff prefer which ones they use to garner 
information because, for instance, I don't use Facebook. I just won't use it. I did have an account up until about four years ago, ditched it because I don't particularly agree with the whole Cambridge Analytica debacle, which is something else. But I do use Twitter voraciously. I've kind of learned how to use it. And that's my go-to. But I could have a conversation with any of my other kind of friends and peers about Twitter and they would blanch because they see it as just a tsunami of mm. of noise. So understanding where, you know, A, understanding that just because you've decided that you like Facebook, you expect all of your users, all of your staff to use Facebook. That's not viable, is it? Because that gets back to the BYOD mm-hmm. um, argument. And there are, I'm sure, without being an expert, different strategies and approaches for each different channel as well. So there's two things going on in parallel, aren't there, really? Yeah, and that's a very good point. You know, the, the, the sort of the, the the comparison to the bring your own device. Um, you know, th- there's so many CEOs who I talk to who are very proud that they're on Twitter and they think I'm a social CEO now because I'm on Twitter. And the fact is that a lot of people don't use Twitter these days, especially younger people. So if you want to take an example of a CEO who's, who's actually listened and, and, and thought about this, um, it's a guy called Brian Garish, and he is the CEO of um, Banfield Pet Hospital in America. It's actually, I think it's the largest chain of veterinary surgeries in the, in the States. And what Brian does is he, he uses Instagram to engage because he's worked out that the vast majority of his employees, a lot of the the vets are quite young. A lot of them are fresh from college. Nearly all of them are on Instagram. Not many are on Twitter. So he uses Instagram as a, as a tool to engage obviously with the, with the wider public, but also he engages with his employees on Instagram. So he will tag people. He encourages his employees to use Instagram to share pictures of them when they, with, with pets that they're working with, with their own pets, um, and it's it's a great kind of it because it's it's very inclusive. It he's where they are, and that's important. Of course, he's on Insta, he's on LinkedIn as well in a more professional capacity. But he is on Instagram because that's where so his, up on his that demographic then, because, is. Um, does that mean then that uh, in order to have a social media strategy, really leaders don't need to worry about channels as much? It's not not, not focusing their cha- their strategy around a particular channel. Their strategy should be around following what people are doing, and then crafted their messages and then put them out through whatever channels most likely to hit their audiences. I suppose so. I mean, I think it, it depends on the channel because something like Instagram, for example, is very visual. Mm. You know, you, you can't post without a picture. You have to have a picture and then the text goes with it. Whereas if you're on LinkedIn, for example, or Twitter, it doesn't, that's not the case. So how you word things will differ depending on the, on the channel and how people use different platforms is different. So how somebody perhaps uses LinkedIn, they perhaps it's a bit more of a professional supposedly platform. Although I, I shared a, a Spotify playlist on my Instagram, on, on my LinkedIn the other week. And I thought, sod it, I'm going to, I'm going to break the rules. I'm not going to be all, all, all official, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not a place normally where we do that kind of thing. Whereas uh, something like Instagram is something where you might be a lot more kind of like fluffy or kind of the kind of more human side of you might come out. So it does depend on the channel, but I think what it really goes back to is obviously it's, it's, what is your as the leader you know what's your strategy you know what's the point of actually being on there is it you know what do you want to say 
So you obviously you, you're going to have a certain message that you want to put out there. So then you decide on the channels and, and where your audience is. But the word audience hmm. is probably a better to use a word like community, where your community is. But as Kat mentioned as well, it's not just about broadcasting. It's also about listening. So, you know, it, it's, it sounds like it's starting to get complicated, but it's not really. But, you know, you, you can you can work with your comms team to come up with a few core messages that you want to send out and maybe once a week, a couple of times a week broadcast these messages but then you can also listen into conversations tap into conversations engage with people thank people for for engaging with your content have a bit of a conversation going and um it all starts to kind of make sense after a while but yes you kind of do need to have a general overall idea about what you want to say and then like you say kind of then choose the channels accordingly yeah. I'm going to just pick up on something you talked about earlier, and it's just striking me listening into to, to both you, Damien, and Kat and Dom, is you talked very early on, Damien, about this kind of, yes, we've been through COVID and the social CEO, it isn't new, but also this kind of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, and, and we are living in perhaps a more political space. Um, we talked about the Edelman Trust Barometer, where we're leaning into uh, our leaders as a source of truth, or we want mm -hmm. to know what they stand for. Um, but we're also, you know, there's society and there's our employees. And I guess that just this thing that's coming around a lot is, and Dom, I don't know if you have a view from a leadership comms point of view and Damien from a social media point of view, is how do we coach our leaders about what is right to put a public statement on in the world of reputation management, in the world of keeping our employees know that they're working in the sense of purpose, but we're not making it tokenistic. Oh, that's a good question. With, yeah, how do we work across that? And because I think that that's a real challenge for a leader. I certainly find that in my job, and I'm not a big leader by any state imagination, that fear of having an opinion and standing for something. Um, I don't know. How do we coach and, and deal with that point of leadership? Well, I think from general leadership source, uh, sorry, um, general leadership communication point of view, um, I think this is where internal communication professionals can have a real help in, in coaching leaders, because um, one of the great d d dilemmas that internal communicators face at the moment is how do you encourage your leader to be authentic? In other words, they're able to have great conversations and express their views and show vulnerability and build trust that way. And then not say things off the cuff, which they're going to regret. And I think a lot of that is down to just coaching and helping them think through what is a, what is a sensible thing to say and what is not, where you should express your personal opinion, where you shouldn't. So I think it is down to coaching like that. And the other thing I think is down to uh, everyday language. It's something which leaders should be doing anyway. But one of the byproducts I found, funnily enough, of encouraging leaders to use proper languages, they tend to say what they feel, but they say it in a way that's, that they mean. And I, I think that some of the problems we've had in the past is that leaders have tried tried to use professional language or they've used technical terms and they've got themselves tied up in knots when they didn't mean to. And sorry, the last thing about that is preparing them for questions. Because again, if you look at when leaders have gone off the rails or said things which they didn't mean to, it's when they've been prompted or provoked by someone else. And what I found is just getting them to prepare up front, doing a devil's advocate, think about the challenges they're going to get means they're less likely to be caught off, off, off guard. And, and, and I would just add one important word into this mix as well, which is um, wh whatever you are trying to communicate, prioritise empathy. You know, I mean, 
yesterday, where are we? We're recording a Monday in July. And just yesterday, our health secretary, no, Saturday, tweeted something about being recovered from coronavirus. And look at the use, and I'm not, I'm not defending him, by the way, look at the use of one word and how that created an absolute social media storm. Because he hadn't thought through the consequences. He hadn't thought how those words could land with hundreds and thousands of families and more. So empathy is absolutely paramount. My feeling, and it's perhaps anecdotal, is that many leaders worry about empathy. They worry that they don't have it. They don't have it enough. I think everybody, unless you're on a you know, unless you're kind of clinically diagnosed as a, as a sociopath or psychopath, I think everybody has empathy. We just overthink it because so much is made of it in, in the media today. But I, you know, I, I, I think writing a message and sending without really just stopping to reflect on how your words could land that's short-sighted. And I think we all have it in our gift to just take a moment before we press send. No, I agree with that. And uh, I mean, social media has obviously made it, you know, it's very easy to, you know, to, you know, if, if you, if you say the wrong thing, it can just spiral out of control as we saw with that, um, you know, the word that the health secretary used about people cowering from, from, from COVID and it, it was all taken the wrong way. And so uh, it's a tricky one. And we talk about authenticity and uh, empathy and all of these things, and that's important. And I mean, you know, we all as human beings, we should be authentic. You know, we shouldn't be having to be coached to be authentic. But I think the problem is a lot of leaders, it's been coached out of them almost, you know, over the years. And business schools have not really kind of encouraged that kind of leadership. And we're, we're having to kind of relearn. And of course, Dom will know a lot, a lot more about this than me, kind of relearn the rules of leadership. Um, and along with that, now they expected to actually talk about things on social media and say what they think. This is this is scary. Um, so, but yeah, it, it needs to be authentic. Needs to be from the heart. And I think as long as people are are sensible, I mean, you wouldn't say you know don't say what you wouldn't say you know if you were at a conference or at a party or something you know where, where somebody might overhear something you know just. Just be sensible. It's it's about being sensible, and it's not about being a robot. It's about being a human being, but being, you know, be strategic in what you want to say, but be as human as you can. And of course, everyone's different. Some people find it easier than others, and um, and that that's when the coaching can come in, just to kind of help people with the tone, with with how things come across, and um, just to make sure that things are not. Damien, though, taken I, I the guess wrong some way. readers listen to this might be starting to think, "Oh, crikey, this all sounds very complex and and scary." So let's look at the other side of it now, which are some of the great benefits that you've seen social media um, in terms of leadership communication. You gave us an example already. Was it Brian Garrish you mentioned, uh, which is a great example, but, but Brian uh, Garish, someone I'd yeah. definitely look into. But it'd be good to get some other thoughts for you about what leaders can get out of social media, how they can use it to enhance their communication, and any more examples you may have as well would be great. Well, I mean, I think you know, it's it it's a. I think one of the fundamental things that that, that leaders can use social media for is building trust. You know, there's a there's a lack of trust all around us, and um, building trust in themselves as leaders, in the organisation that they lead, 
is so important because it, it is a competitive world out there. Whether you're a, whether you're a nonprofit or a charity, or whether you're a, you're a, you're a business, I suppose you are competing for you know for attention. So being seen as trustworthy is, in a cynical way, a good thing. But it, it's it's the right thing to do anyway. Um, but it's it's a great way to obviously tell your organisation's story. For some leaders, it's great for personal branding if they are on the up and they are ambitious. If you are very active and you, you're sharing your thoughts and, and, and you're on LinkedIn a lot and, you know, people will notice you and you will, you know, for the, the headhunters out there will, will find you. Uh, but it's also great for attracting, for example, attracting talent, attracting um, the right kind of talent to your organization. If certainly these days, a lot of young employees, they have a lot. I know that the employment situation is difficult, but people still do sometimes have options and they will sometimes look at who the leadership team is of an of an organization if they see a ceo like brian for example if they go into they a, a new vet i bet you everyone's going everyone wants to work for banfield pet hospital not just because he's on social but because he also one of his, the pivotal parts of his strategy is employee welfare because apparently vets young vets in america are have very high levels of um, uh, sort of stress and mental health issues because of financial worries and all of these things so his one of his key Parts of his strategy is helping people when they become, you know, helping people with with free counselling and all of this sort of thing. And he talks about that. So, who are you going to want to go and work for? You're going to go and want to work for him rather than somebody else who doesn't do that. And he uses social media for that. Um, and obviously, just employee engagement more generally. You know, just keeping your workforce in, um, and engaged, keeping them up to date, feeling that you're having a conversation with them rather than broadcasting to them. Um, and you know. As I always say, social media is a way to tap into the global brain. You know, it's about listening as much as anything else. And, you know, who wouldn't want to use that free resource? You know, it's it's out there. Um, so that, those are just some of the reasons. I mean, there's many more. You know, you, you, um, there's uh, but building your, your, your brand, as, as I mentioned, crisis communications. If you're already active on social and you have a, a, a trusted, you know, people trust you and, and, and you've, you've got this kind of reputation, when a crisis hits, it's a lot easier then to deal with it than to be coming out the blue and suddenly appearing on these platforms out of, out of nowhere. Mm. So um, I hope that kind mm. of answers some of those Thank questions you. there, Dom. It's, um, it, it just strikes me as I'm really interested in your point, which is, so obvious when you think about it and yet probably not really um, perceived as such you know these are great and free tools and and I guess you know beyond really laying down for yourself some thoughts and ideas about how best to leverage the tools but without being over orchestrated I think the one thing that I've learned in, in our journey at Working the Future is, um, and it's interesting because somebody said this to me really early on and I was a bit, I didn't make sense to me in the moment. I mean, it, it, I couldn't see it as being as powerful as it has proven to be. This person who was um, over on the West Coast of the, of the state said to me back in early 2016, don't focus on your follower numbers, focus on your interactions, focus on the number of engagements that you have, either um, people replying, people retweeting in the case of Twitter. Um, and actually, that online communication is infinitely 
more powerful than the number of times you post in a week or um, almost as well the number of followers that you have. So, so it's the engagement piece all day long, isn't it? It's how you build a public conversation which feeds back into visibility and accessibility, which are paramount in, in today's leader um, requirements, I think. Yeah, that's very true, and uh, and the sort of the one of the fears I think a lot of leaders have is about time that it's a time suck, and you know thinking oh now I have to have conversations with people where do I find time for that? But actually, once you get used to it and once you get your head around it, you know it's not as scary and complicated as as people might think. And actually, once you know you you, you choose your channel, your your one or two channels, and then you you just put a put aside a bit of time. You know, it might be ten minutes a day, it might be half an hour a day, split over the day. You know, it doesn't have to be. But actually, the the, the benefits are substantial, and it's worth putting the time across. I think that's the thing. A lot of these still don't actually get that social media is 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 actually it's it's a it's an, an important vital tool. For leaders these days it's not a nice to have it's it's essential and i think learning that and learning how to use them is is um is, is an important uh, leadership um requirement these days i'm just listening to that i just want to pick up on this this question as well around you know with visibility and accessibility you know social media is a public free platform where you as a leader are accessible to to infinite amount of people infinite depending on that as I, I do agree that it's about engagement and conversation I think the marketing world has put this kind of ROI you know push on on yeah. response world which is where is which is not the right lens in which to look through it but obviously we've talked a lot about external social media channels and we and we're talking about this issue of visibility and accessibility as well but then there's also the internal social channels which you know that might be the yammers or the slacks which are more also conversational in style you know, how from a visibility and accessibility, and I don't know if there's a thought on this, how should we be, I guess, managing a leader's use of both of those? And do you have the same tone of voice? Or do you, do you change that tone of voice? Or should you have a different strategy, perhaps? Um, because you need to make sure what you're saying externally as a leader in a social channel and what you're being on an internal channel has a real synergy. Otherwise, I think that's going to break down a level of trust. I mean, I don't know how anyone feels about that if there's a rule to that or a way we should think about that in terms of community and connection but on an internal level Dom did you I, I, I don't want to monopolize the conversation I don't know whether you wanted to 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 have a thought um, I on think, that I'm happy to uh, add to it I think probably your, your tone should be reflect the brand of the organization um, and so it may be slightly different internally than externally but by and large I think it's the same across social media or indeed in conversation or, or uh, in other other forms of um, communication around an organization it, it should be the same sort of tone because it reflects the brand and how the brand needs to be perceived internally and externally so I, I, I wouldn't recommend uh, leaders adopting different tones I, I don't think different maybe different slightly different wording uh, different ways of expressing stuff but the tone needs to be the same I think yeah, yeah I, I mean, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Kat, you go ahead. No, no, that's me. No, carry on, please. I was just thinking about authenticity again, and I was thinking, gosh, mm. if you have two different tones, then there's um there's a discrepancy there. And I, I, I guess I'm also just reflecting on some organisations that I've worked with in the past. I think there is an this is perhaps because I because of the industry that I worked in and in, in headhunting and staffing. Um, 
which is a bit of an on-fire, crazy, high-octane environment. But I think, you know, there's a requirement for leaders to be the adults in the room. So when I'm reflecting on the use of internal channels, also, you know, whoever is in that pole position as the leader, he or she is the grown-up. And so there's that requirement, really, not to be down with the kids and and using you know the slangs and the colloquialisms and I know we're all aware of some people who've fallen short of of being you know gauche or inappropriate or or what have you on their internal social channels and then later they get called out for what is a digital footprint of inappropriateness so that's also in play is you you do hold a responsibility as a leader to be kind of the parent without being you know um too much of a mood hoover you are the grown-up and and you should you should behave as such regardless of the channels that you're on and that's another interesting point because I see in my social media feeds some people who I know are chief execs of substantial organizations and sometimes they say things and I think that you know that was immature frankly and not becoming of a leader so I do think that the lens of scrutiny is on leaders like never before and we need to bear that in mind when we're using any channel regardless of whether that's internal or external Totally. Um, I think just going back to the point about the, the you know, the, the, the you know, the, the, the two tones of voice, you, you have to have one tone of voice because your employees who perhaps are following you on Yammer and they see what you're saying there, they will also see what you're saying on LinkedIn or somewhere else. So, you know, you, you, it, it doesn't make sense to be, you know, obviously what you're saying might be slightly different internally because you have a different message perhaps. But I think one of the, the key challenges is is to be engaging whichever way you're doing it. So I think a, a lot of the internal social networks, they do struggle with engagement. Um, and I think having an engaging leader that actually does something regularly, really engaging employees, get, getting them to contribute, asking them questions, commenting on things, that's that's also important. But it's, you know, that, that, that's a slightly different question, I suppose. But I think Using internal platforms is something that is obviously this conversation is about, you know, mainly internal communications. And um, I, I think a lot of those pl platforms could be a lot better. And I think leaders probably do need perhaps more help sometimes in, in using internal platforms than external ones, because there's a lot of help with things like LinkedIn and things like that to help you. Um, but there's there's less, you know, for, for, for internal networks. So, um, but it's it still comes down to being as as you said, Kat, you are the figurehead, you are the of the organisation, and more and more leaders are now becoming the kind of the kind of um, the cheerleader for the organisation. That's what. Uh, Jack, there's another CEO who I meant to mention um, quickly. He's called Jack Salzwedel, S-A-L-Z-W-E-D-E-L. -E -E he's he's going to be retiring soon, but he's the CEO of American Family Insurance, which, again, is a large insurance company across the States. And you wouldn't think an insurance company CEO would be, you know, that's not an exciting prospect, but he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. He's, you know, he's fantastic on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Those are his two main channels. Again, he uses them in a similar way to Brian Garish. He, he, he champions his employees a lot. 
and he also he talks about to the external audience, but he talks internally through those things like LinkedIn and Twitter because some of his employees are on there. So, and I'm sure he's the same internally on the internal social network. Obviously, we don't get to see that, um, but it's about you know. So he's a sort of you know middle to slightly older white guy, you know kind of stereotypical you know he's an insurance ceo doesn't sound but he's very engaging he's very he's very liberal he he he, he champions causes um you know he, he champions lgbt issues and things like that internally he he's, he's got his kind of flag to the mask there about being inclusive and it might alienate some of their customers but he doesn't seem to care he probably doesn't want them as customers so you know he's got his strategy in place he's got a great comms team and um but he's authentic He's human, but he doesn't like Kat said. Don't try, doesn't try to get down with the kids too much. He uses professional language, but he's humble and he's chatty, and I think that's the kind of it's a it's a tricky balance to get. But if you look at people like Brian and Jack, that's a great just look at them as examples and see how they do it. A lot of people. I love those examples also like because they're not who you might expect you to quote. So they're not tech companies. They're not Apple. They're not some of the more. Uh, organizations like spotify they're traditional companies who are using these tools effectively and i think that's a really good set of examples and i guess very inspiring because it shows it it can be done it it just requires a slightly different approach absolutely i mean it's so easy to quote people like richard branson but those are not you know people can't really relate to them but you can relate to an insurance company ceo or a veterinary ceo or somebody who's running a, a chain of shops or something you, you can relate to these kind of people much more so i always tend to try and focus on people like that that are more relatable brilliant well thank you thank you so much damien Duncan. that was a fast and i've just i'm trying to scribble down the notes and the highlights of that conversation which is around conversation, listening, engagement matters, be strategic, think about what you're saying, human authenticity, you know, let's encourage, it seems fearful, but let's not be fearful. Let's think about the importance of tone, the importance of words, the importance of being a devil's advocate. And actually, really, how can we use all these tools and mechanisms to our advantage? And really, actually, if we do that right, we can do that well or help our leaders do that well. It benefits so many things internally and externally. Um, but actually a totally joined up approach is the way to go. Um, I think that's been a fascinating chat. I like I said, those are just some of my quick notes and there's more to come, I'm sure. So thank you, Damien, again, so much for joining us today. Dom and Kat, as always, uh, my podcast partners. Thanks a lot, Jen. This podcast has been brought to you today by the Institute of Internal Communication and is produced by Jessica Williams and Shabi Tolu Ogun Polu.